and welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast Season 2, Episode 30 in the Book of Daniel, Daniel's Final Vision, Part 4. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the Gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. Today in this 30th episode in the Book of Daniel, still looking at Daniel's Final Vision, this next section deals with the prophecy of the coming of Antiochus IV Epiphany and the danger that brings to the Jewish people. All right, let's turn now to Daniel chapter 11, starting in verse 21. In his place, a despised person will arise. Royal honors will not be given to him, but he will come during a time of peace and seize the kingdom by intrigue. A flood of forces will be swept away before him. They will be broken as well as the covenant prince. After an alliance is made with him, he will act deceitful. He will rise to power with a small nation. During a time of peace, he will come into the richest parts of the province and do what his fathers and predecessors never did. He will lavish plunder, loot, and wealth on his followers. He will make plans against fortified cities, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will prepare for battle with an extremely large and powerful army, but he will not succeed because plots will be made against him. Those who eat his provisions will destroy him. His army will be swept away and many will fall slain. The two kings whose hearts are bent on evil will speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for still the end will come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his land with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action, then return to his own land. At the appointed time he will come again to the south, but this time will not be like the first. Ships of Katim will come against him, and being intimidated, he will withdraw. Then he will race against the holy covenant and take action. On his return, he will favor those who abandon the Holy Covenant. His forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the regular sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who act wickedly towards the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many, Yet they will fall by the sword and flame, and they will be captured and plundered for a time. When they fall, they will be helped by some, but many others will join them insincerely. Some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end, for it will, be, it will still come at the appointed time. Now last week we spent some high-quality time, and lots of it, in the historical preview leading to this point in the vision. That section set the stage for what is coming, and that is the 8th Seleucid Greek ruler Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who ruled from 175 to 163 BC. The horrific rule of Antiochus IV greatly affected Israel, and much time is given to Antiochus before going into the period of the last 77s, being the final tribulation period for the world. All right, back to verse 21. In his place, a despised person will arise. Royal honors will not be given to him, but he will come during a time of peace and seize the kingdom by intrigue. When Seleucus IV Philopator 
died in 175 BC, his younger brother Antiochus IV Epiphanes seized the throne. This man, from a Jewish point of view, becomes a monster. He is labeled in this verse a despised person. He would severely persecute the Jews and would massacre thousands. He refers to himself as Epiphanes, meaning the manifest one or illustrious one. Most simply called him a madman. Royal honors were not his because the throne belonged to Demetrius I Sotar, the son of the brother of Seleucus IV. However, Demetrius was still being held as a hostage in Rome until all the tributes were paid for losing the war with the Romans. This allowed Antiochus to, as in the verse states, seize the throne. This time of peace would be from the northern kingdom's point of view. They had felt secure even though they had lost the war to Rome. Antiochus was a conniving person of intrigue, meaning that he would lie to everyone and bribe officials to support him. Everything was covert and underhanded. Verse 22. A flood of forces will be swept away before him. They will be broken, as well as the covenant prince. After an alliance is made with him, he will act deceitfully. He will rise to power with a small nation. In 169 BC, the king of the south, Ptolemy the sixth Philometor, Philometor, the Greek king from Egypt, would invade to regain territory, namely Palestine and Phoenicia, that had been lost to the north. The Greek kingdom of Syria, the kingdom of Antiochus Epiphanes. This turned out very badly for the invading forces. This flood of forces from the south will be swept away in front of Antiochus IV, and there are reasons why this happened. He would even capture Ptolemy VI and hold him as a hostage. It is interesting that Ptolemy VI is called the Covenant Prince. And he's called that because he has agreed to become an ally of Antiochus IV if he would help him regain his throne in Egypt because his younger brother, Ptolemy VII, Eurogetes II, had taken it when his brother was captured by Antiochus IV. Well, this was very well received by Antiochus IV as he thought this would give him a foothold in Egypt. Antiochus did indeed help Ptolemy VI to regain most of his throne, but he would break this agreement, and with his brother, who he had partially dislodged from the throne with the help of Antiochus IV, would push Antiochus's forces from the fort of Pelusium on the northern border of Egypt. There's a lot of intrigue here. Verse 24. During a time of peace, he will come into the richest parts of the province and do what his fathers and predecessors never did. He will lavish plunder, loot, and wealth on his followers, and he will make plans against fortified cities, but only for a time. You know, Antiochus loved pursuing plunder and invasion when areas were feeling somewhat secure. This included the richest areas, including, as we discussed, Egypt and other places that the Syrian forces could overwhelm. Those who continued to support Antiochus were then rewarded with plunder, loot, and wealth. Probably there is no rewards for the general people, 
or anyone else just for those who could support Antiochus. However, his power and abilities were not in his control, and God would place a limit on his conquests as they were only for a time. Verse 25. With a large army, he will stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will prepare for battle with an extremely large and powerful army, but he will not succeed because plots will be made against him. Those who eat his provisions will destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many will fall slain. So when Ptolemy the sixth went and invaded the north, and then the north responded, all that contributed to Ptolemy the sixth defeat. Plots were made against him from his own people that allowed him to be unsuccessful against Antiochus the fourth. Those who ate his provisions or his nobles and ministers plotted against him. And remember, his brother didn't hesitate to claim the throne. They could have already been on Antiochus's payroll, so to speak. So the two kings, verse 27, the two kings whose hearts are bent on evil will speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for still the end will come at the appointed time. So as before, these two connivers sat down as Ptolemy the sixth was the hostage of Antiochus the fourth to plot Ptolemy's return to the throne of Egypt and move his brother off of it. However, neither of these two would honor this agreement. They're just not that kind of people. Verse 28. The king of the north will return to his land with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action and then return to his own land. Well, this sets the stage for the persecution of the Jewish people. After plundering Egypt and putting his former enemy back on the throne, Antiochus travels through Palestine, and as he's traveling through Palestine with his plunder, he finds an insurrection taking place in Palestine. Antiochus and his forces put down the rebellion, and they massacred 80,000 men, women, and children. He then took the opportunity to loot the temple with the help of the evil high priest, Menelaus. Okay, Menelaus will come back and play in this theater here. Verse 29. At the appointed time, he will come again to the south, but this time will not be like the first. Ships of Katim will come against him, and being intimidated, he will withdraw. So Antiochus IV will invade the south once again in 168 B.C. But this time, there was a much different outcome. Encounter the ships of Katim. Now from the New English Translation Bible Notes. The name Katim has various designations in extra-biblical literature. It can refer to a location on the island of Cyprus, or more generally to the island itself, or it can be an inclusive term to refer to parts of the Mediterranean world that lay west of the Middle East. In other words, Rome. For ships of Katim, the Greek Old Testament Septuagint has Romans as an interpretation followed by a few English versions. A number of times in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the word is used in reference to the Romans. Other English versions are more generic, being the ships of the western coastlands. So this time he comes against the Romans once again. They had come at the request of Ptolemies of the south. This fourth empire and the previous visions given to Daniel begins to show its teeth. As Antiochus' forces were besieging Alexandria, 
the Romans commander Gaius Papapilius Lionus met Antiochus four miles outside of the city. He gave him a letter from the Roman Senate ordering Antiochus IV to leave Egypt or face war with Rome. Now, he had already been on a war with Rome once before, and that ended quite badly. The Roman commander drew a circle with a stick in the sand around Antiochus and told him he must respond before stepping outside the circle. This placed Antiochus in a humiliating position, of which after a few moments of silence, an embarrassing silence, he acquiesced. Second half of verse 30. Then he will rage against the Holy Covenant and take action. On his return, he will favor those who abandoned the Holy Covenant. Now Antiochus is really upset. He now takes that out on the people of Israel. He pretended to come in peace, but on the Sabbath he attacked and massacred thousands of people and plundered the city. But the apostate Jews, like the high priest Menelaus and others who supported his Hellenistic policies, were rewarded. Most of all of this history is found in First and Second Maccabees. Now this is not canonical scripture, but is interesting historical context. Verse 31, his forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the regular sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation. It is interesting that the temple is seen as a fortress. Either this was a spiritual fortress, or more likely in this case, they could have been used as a military fortress as well as the temple grounds. In 167 BC, the suppression of the Jewish religion came to a full force. Stephen Miller writes, All Jewish religious practices, such as circumcision, possessing the scriptures, sacrifices, and feast days, were forbidden on the penalty of death. And we read in 1 Maccabees 1, 41-50, Then the king wrote to the, his whole kingdom, now the king being Antiochus IV, that all should be one people and abandon their particular customs. All the Gentiles conformed to the command of the king, and many Israelites delighted in his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. The king sent letters by messenger to Jerusalem and to the cities of Judah, ordering them to follow customs foreign to their land, to prohibit burnt offerings, sacrifices, and libations in the sanctuary, to profane the Sabbaths and feast days, to desecrate the sanctuary and sacred ministers, to build pagan altars and temples and shrines, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, to leave their sons uncircumcised, and to defile themselves with every kind of impurity and abomination, so that they might forget the law and change all of its ordinances. Whoever refuses to act according to the command of the king was to be put to death, and put to death they were. Again, the king here is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. This reached its climax on December the 15th, 167 B.C., when an idol or altar dedicated to the Greek god Zeus was erected inside the temple, this would be the abomination of desolation as mentioned. Pigs or swine were then sacrificed on the altar, fully desecrating the temple for all Jews. Verse 32, With flattery he will corrupt those who act wickedly towards the covenant, but the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Now Antiochus used 
flattery to push people to support his actions and loot and money and all kinds of things. And some apostate, corrupt Jews listened and obeyed. However, true believers were still in Jerusalem who remained faithful to Yahweh. First Maccabees 1.62 says, But many in Israel were determined and resolved in their hearts not to eat anything unclean. They preferred to die rather than to be defiled with food or to profane the Holy Covenant, and they did die. There was a priest named Mattathias who had five sons, and he refused to forsake God. Three of his sons, Judas, Jonathan, and Simon, what became known as the Maccabees, which means kind of hammer, overthrew the Syrian occupation through a series of brilliant military victories against Antiochus's commanders between 165 and 164 BC. As a result, the temple was rededicated to Yahweh on December the 25th, 164 BC. It is still celebrated as Hanukkah. Verse 33. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many, yet they will fall by the sword and flame, and they will be captured and plundered for a time. So many of the true believers who were actively teaching others to trust and follow God, and not the Greek king, they were martyred. martyred. Tens of thousands were slaughtered because of their faith. But this was coming to an end. God had ordained it to come to an end. Verse 34, when they fall, they will be helped by some, but many others will join them insincerely. Many did not help the cause and would stay true to God or supporting the revolt against the Seleucids. Many didn't. But when they began to win, when the Maccabees began to win, and they began to execute the collaborators, then insincerely, some had joined the cause. Verse 35, some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Now we're beginning to see a change from the Antiochus IV Epiphanes to a future lawless one in the same vein as Antiochus. There is a purpose here behind all this suffering, though it's hard to see when you're in the midst of suffering. It was to cleanse individuals it was to cleanse this nation as a whole of sinful practices and to strengthen their faith. And God had ordained an end to the suffering during this time frame and offered comfort for those through this vision to them, especially to those who experienced this firsthand 440 years in the future from what is being told to Daniel. Now, Antiochus dies in 163 B.C. during an expedition to Persia. According to some, he died of insanity. This was prophesied in Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, which says, He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence, and in his own mind he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in the time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be broken, not by human hands. I hope you enjoy this season to study in the book of Daniel, next episode 31. We will look at this last vision of Daniel to the prophecies concerning the end times. God bless you today, and I encourage you to spend time in God's Word. Biblical Tapestry has a Facebook and Instagram page, and I encourage you. 
Please like and share this podcast if you've gained from this study. God bless and be well.